Anyone know what that is? That's music to my ears. That's another sale on Shopify, the all-in-one commerce platform to start, run, and grow your business. Shopify makes it simple to sell to anyone from anywhere. Whether you're selling shirts or sandals, start selling with Shopify and join the platform simplifying commerce for millions of businesses worldwide. With Shopify, you'll customize your online store to your brand, discover new customers, and build relationships that will keep them coming back. Shopify covers all the sales channels to successfully grow your business, from an in-person POS system to an all-in-one e-commerce platform, even across social media platforms like TikTok, Facebook, and Instagram. And thanks to 24-7 support and free on-demand business courses, Shopify is here to help you succeed every step of the way. It's how every minute, new sellers around the world make their first sale with Shopify. And you can do it too. I love how Shopify makes it simple for anyone to sell their products anywhere. Whether they're eBooks or earrings, Shopify simplifies starting and running your own successful business. When you're ready to take your idea to the world, do it with Shopify, the commerce platform powering millions of businesses down the street and around the globe. Now it's your turn to try Shopify for free and start selling anywhere. So sign up for a free trial at shopify.com slash c-suite, all lowercase on c-suite. Go to shopify.com slash c-suite, all lowercase on c-suite, to start selling online today. Shopify.com slash c-suite. You're listening to Thinking Outside the Bud, where we speak with entrepreneurs, investors, thought leaders, researchers, advocates, and policymakers who are finding new and exciting ways for cannabis to positively impact business, society, and culture. And now, here is your host, business coach, Bruce Eckfeldt. Are you a CEO looking to scale your company faster and easier? Check out Thrive Roundtable. Thrive combines a moderated peer group mastermind, expert one-on-one coaching, access to proven growth tools, and a 24-7 support community. Created by Inc. award-winning CEO and certified scaling-up business coach Bruce Eckfeldt, Thrive will help you grow your business more quickly and with less drama. For details on the program, visit Eckfeldt.com slash thrive. That's E-C-K-F-E-L-D-T dot com slash thrive. Welcome, everyone. This is Thinking Outside the Bud. I'm Bruce Eckfeldt. I'm your host. And our guest today is Ashley Elsner, and she is founder and CEO of Artery Inc., who has developed Artery Payments, which is hopefully solving some of the banking challenges we have here in the cannabis space. So we're going to talk a little bit about that, talk about the product, talk about what the future is in terms of banking and financing in cannabis. With that, Ashley, welcome to the program. Thank you so much for having me, Bruce. I'm really happy to be here. So I always like to have guests talk a little bit about their backgrounds and particularly how did they get into cannabis? So I know you came out of the banking and finance. Tell us a story. What got you into the cannabis space? Sure. So there is this incredible crux that's going on right now that is basically cannabis sits at the intersection of banking, policy, and and a couple of other things that are, are very interesting to me. Yep. So it was one of those things that from a passion perspective, I feel very strongly about cannabis being available for medical purposes. Mm-hmm. I actually, about a year and a half ago, after I had started researching this project, started using for neuropathic pain myself and mm-hmm. found it to be incredibly effective for, for my own condition. And so it's something that has made me even more passionate about the industry. It's something that I think a lot of people misunderstand 
and the the banking issues on that, I was surprised that they still existed actually <laughs> because actually legal cannabis has has had um like from the medical perspective has been legal in yeah. California for over twenty years. So it seemed very strange to me that they were still having all of these cash management issues and that ends up leading to a lot of problems with respect to how you can handle enforcement because that's really how we track it's how we track business behavior is yeah. through the transaction reports. And if that's not happening, then there's this black box surrounding yeah. us about how, how they're actually operating. And so from the perspective of banking, that makes it even scarier to try to work with them because there's all of this legacy problem and they don't really know what practices are going on. And it's not getting, it ends up being circular, of course, because well, the problem is that they're not banked <laughs> and we yeah. would have, you know, all of that transaction data if they were. So, so yeah. it ends up a bit of a circular argument. And um, to me, it's something that I couldn't ignore. The physical risk that people take on through keeping cash in their business and having to deal with cash management is just a, it's a huge problem. And it's something that I don't think that small businesses should have to deal with. I don't really agree with certain aspects of how to approach high-risk industries. I think they are the ones that are most important to bank. Mm. And I do feel that there is some responsibility um, on the banking side where they have the capacity to do it, but there is a lot of fear. And it's justified fear, but at the same time, it is also, in my opinion, a bit of a, a neglecting of duties that they have to support the economic structure of the United States. So it gets it gets into a lot of deep political yeah. <laughs> thing me as well as responsibility and civic responsibility. So I it's a problem that is fixable and it's fixable with fintech and we're actually finding that a lot of financial institutions are willing to work with this industry if they have the level of transparency that they need um, to get rid of that black box. Yeah. So my apologies for the very long-winded intro on that, um, but it is a passion piece for me from a lot of perspectives. Yeah, I always find it fascinating. I think every, everyone I've spoken to in this industry has. I mean, there's a kind of a, a logical, rational reason to kind of get involved in opportunities, you know, opportunities in business and making money. But then there's also Oh, just about everyone has some kind of personal connection. You know, a family member who, you know, is going through a medical situation and has found a relief using a cannabis product, you know, personal use, you know, all sorts of reasons. So thank you for sharing that. I think the one thing I'd like to kind of start with, and I, and, and this might be a, a, a tar ball in terms of figuring out how to explain it, but I, I think the, the common perception or the common discussion is, oh, well, you can't bank. If you're a cannabis-based business or if you're a plant-touching business, you can't get banking services. You know, they, they won't give you an account or they'll shut you down if they find out you're dealing with cannabis that, you know, they're going to close all your accounts and everything. And my, as much as I understand this is practically, while that might be the case in many respects, it's, it's a little more complicated. And it's not that it's illegal or they can't bank with Correct. you. It's that banking with a cannabis, a company that deals in cannabis gets very complicated for them. Can you give us a little bit more insight or why, I mean, from the banking side, why does this become hard in terms of banking cannabis-based businesses? Uh, it has to do with the compliance requirements for the industry. This is a and I hate to put it this way, but there is a cost-benefit analysis that goes on when you start discussing yeah. whether you want to work with an industry or not. And banks are private institutions. Um, they are not public institutions. They have corporate interests. They have investors and shareholders that they are accountable to. Mm -hmm. um, and they are accountable also to the American government for certain aspects of um, transaction monitoring monitoring, um, specifically with respect to anti-money laundering laws that has to do with the Bank Secrecy Act. 
And there are some complications there. Um, We have gotten some very good guidance from financial crimes enforcement at the federal level. Um, They're called FinCEN. They are the ones who really are monitoring for money laundering and trying to make sure that basically corporate crime is not happening. Mm -hmm. Without banking, you do not have that corporate crime surveillance. Yeah. You don't it just pushes it all underground. So you basically have no data rather than (laughs) at least, you know, some data around what's going on in these businesses. Exactly. But that also makes them higher risk for the banks to take them on if they are going to take a, a, um, if they want to take on that sort of engagement with the industry. Now, cannabis is not alone in being an underbanked industry. Okay. What are some of the examples? Yes. So money services businesses, like for example, your Western unions, your check cashing places, those tend to be underbanked. You see online gaming, of course, is is heavily underbanked, except that now they're able to go for international banking. So it's really not that much of a problem for them anymore. Got it. Um, or it doesn't have to be put it that way. Yeah. It, it may still they, be They have an option, yeah. Yeah. Alcohol industry actually still has issues with respect mm. to that. I mean, there's uh, there's quite a few high, quote, high-risk industries that get labeled that way by banking institutions. Some of them have more access. Some of them have less. It depends really kind of on what your dollar value is. Um, yeah, so uh, from a customer point of view. If, you, if you're a profitable customer, you, you can show yourself to be a profitable customer. Banks will take yeah. you on. Yes, that's yeah. true. But with respect to the cannabis industry, there's a there's an additional problem here. Yeah. They have legacy cash like floating around the system. And legacy yeah. cash is a huge problem. If you take a look at the banks and credit unions that are willing to work with this industry, yeah. they are almost all state chartered banks. Okay. Uh, and credit unions. Yeah. They are not your your Wells Fargo's. They are yeah. not your Chase. Yeah. <laughs> not your Bank of America. Those larger federally chartered institutions are staying away from this industry. Yeah. And that has a couple of implications. So the smaller institutions, in order to pass stress testing management, mm-hmm. which is that is a regulatory rule with respect to their capital management to make sure that they don't end up going under uh-huh. as a result of shocks to specific industries, they cannot handle more than about 10% in their assets being delegated toward a specific sector. So Oh, interesting. So that wait, this is so, this is from a charter point of view. The the requirements around their charter are that they they can't have an interest or investments in in any industry for more, up to 10% or more than 10%. It actually is not about their charter. This actually is about the fact that these are smaller institutions, uh-huh. right? Because they're not federally chartered. They're not these big behemoths that have lots and lots of assets. So that limits the amount of accounts that they can actually work with. So if you Got think it. about so it's just their own internal strategy, self, you know, self-management that they say we. Oh, these are federally mandated standards. Oh, fed- okay. So these are federally mandated standards. Okay. They're federally mandated standards. Now, the the government has not specifically said it has to be ten percent, right? Okay. But the is for to be able to pass stress testing, and this actually gets back to why Fourth Corner Credit Union was uh, unsuccessful in getting Federal Reserve access for a master account back in. I guess it was last year uh-huh. and they had had, you know, lawsuits going back and forth with the Kansas branch of the Federal Reserve over whether they could have a master account or not. Um, Interesting. Yes, it's it gets to be very complicated and very weird. Yeah. So basically for stress testing purposes, in order to make sure that your capital management of your financial institution is not over allocated towards a specific sector or specific industry. These are terms that people have heard before, but they yeah. don't know what that actually means. Yeah. They limit it to about 10% of their assets. So if you have a credit union that has about $300 million in assets, 
they can only take on about $30 million worth of accounts with respect to cannabis. And with some of the larger operators, that basically yeah, <laughs> you're done. <laughs> yeah, you get one account. <laughs> yeah, you get one account. You get one business that you Maybe. can work with. And so they have a capacity problem there. Yeah. And so that's that has to do with them not being, you know, these big banks. Yeah. Now, the second bit to this that is challenging for them is that their compliance teams are much smaller than the larger institutions. So when yeah. they're allocating resources towards this, they're having to allocate basically an entire entire specialists towards this industry when they may have a compliance team of like three people. Yeah. So now how does this work? Because I think the way I understood it, part of the federal challenge was is if you're dealing with a cannabis business, you have to report it because it's now essentially you're dealing with a business that's conducting illegal activity or federally illegal activity. So you have to report on the on the activities. Is that same that same thing happens at the state level or if you're a if you're a state chartered bank? Yes. These are things you have to comply with FinCEN regulations, whether you're federally chartered or whether okay. you're state chartered. All right, this is just um, law. This is just law of banking. All right. Yeah, this is getting into just law of banking. This is getting into good business practices with respect to banking and financial institutions. Got it. I mean, you have to understand it from their perspective. This is a high-risk industry yeah. that, again, has had very much a black box with respect to information coming out about the operations of these institutions. Yeah. Sorry, of these uh, of these cannabis companies. Yeah. And they're having to learn about the industry, learn what the risks are, and educate themselves in order to to um, work with the industry. They're having to be very careful about how many assets they can allocate towards it. And then on top of that, they have the compliance burdens, the additional compliance burdens. And most of the state financial compliance burdens haven't even been worked out. Really? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, it, you know, of course, it's because everybody is way – when you start talking about regulation, it's underfunded yeah. and it's worked. Yeah. And that's on both the private side and the public side. So your compliance professionals are doing a ton of work. It's very labor-intensive for them. Some of that, frankly, is solvable with fintech, and that's one of the things that we're pushing towards. Mm-hmm. Our transaction rails actually on the back end handle the suspicious activity reports that are required for FinCEN and also – where necessary, handle these things called cash transmission reports, which are also required when you start dealing in movement of cash, like physical cash. Yeah. Um, These are two reports that are required reporting to FinCEN. Um, And then on top of that, you also have to do the state reporting. Yeah. (laughs) Again, is a little bit, they do a really good job, the regulators do, of um, monitoring these financial institutions and they also, you know, have a lack of understanding of the operations of these things and are kind of having to learn on the fly about how to bank these guys in an appropriate fashion. Yeah. And, you know, unfortunately, in a lot of the places where cannabis has gotten a lot of uptake, there is far less access to the kinds of this is really maybe across the industry rather than location based. Um, mm-hmm. There is a lack of understanding and access to good information regarding financial services, good practices for this industry. Okay. And there are a couple fantastic firms out there. There are, but you know the the expertise that can actually be given on an individual basis to the cannabis corporations on how to access banking, how to access payments, is pretty thin. Yeah. It's thin, and that was another. It was another thing that I just couldn't stand idly by and do um, was just sort of watch these guys potentially get themselves into the only level of federal scrutiny that is actually applicable to them, which is money laundering and financial fraud. And that's not something that is ever going to be ignored. It's just not going to happen. We're talking about national security level issues. Yeah. So and corporate crime like we want to keep criminal organizations 
from being able to use yeah, this infiltrate, for yeah, infiltrate this industry as illicit activity. Yeah. Or we want to kind of push them out of this industry. Let's be fair. Yeah. 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 <laughs> get them, get them into other ones. Yeah. So what is the status right now? So if I'm, if I'm a, a business, a cannabis business that touches the plant and I'm trying to find banking services, my options, it sounds like my best options are going more or less to state chartered banks, credit right. unions, and hopefully I'm not so big that I'm going to blow their, blow their allocation limits. And hopefully they don't charge me too much for all the reporting that they're going to have to do on me. I mean, is this, that's yes. going to. You're hitting on another big issue with respect to business banking for cannabis accounts. They are expensive. They're very expensive. You're seeing things in the range of uh, 5000 plus per month. And that's not really including any sort of actual business services that they will offer <laughs> yeah, to warehouse your assets. And, you know, frankly, if the institutions are being really careful, they're probably not lending those assets. And that's another reason why that's that's very likely oh, to be. Oh, wait. So, so they're actually. Another fun. Yeah. Another so they're fun. not actually, they're taking in the money, but what, mm-hmm. so why aren't they lending it out? I mean, this is a protection. It's th- a good protection, frankly. So there are a couple of reasons why um, you could be disinterested in lending this money out. And for that reason, charging more on the accounts. Uh-huh. I'm, I'm sure that you're familiar with the idea that um, most banks just keep a re- reserve amount. Yeah. Banks and credit unions keep a reserve amount of cash, uh-huh. um, and the majority of the rest of it they lend out in order to make money off of yeah. the assets that are actually sitting in their institutions. Yeah. So with cannabis, it being federally illegal, it's a little bit tricky for them to be able to, A, get FDIC insurance on those assets, mm. probably can't, yeah. probably count towards their reserve, and probably can't lend it if they're being really careful. I mean, really, really careful, yeah. which is, you know... So they basically mm-hmm. would take, take the money put it in a separate part of the vault, <laughs> hold it there. Yeah. And, and so the only way they're going to make money is if they're charging, if they're on account fees. So if they're charging you $5,000 a month, then it makes financial sense for them to offer the service. Yeah. Even if they can't lend it out, even if they've got to do all the reporting, they can That's still make exactly. money. Got it. They can make some money off of that. And then and there is the, the additional cost of the reporting. So there is some justification to the business accounts being as expensive as they are. Yeah. But in a lot of ways, that's still not tenable for a small business. It can yeah. be it can be very tricky. And the the groups that generally have access to the business banking are more on the the dispensary side. You see very few farms yeah. being able to get banking. They're considered to be a tier three money laundering risk. Wow. Yeah. Just because it's so easy, it would, from an operations point of view, it's so easy to cut in cash, illegal cash, into the business. And yes, yeah. yes, and um, illegal crops actually. Um, uh, that's, yeah, <laughs> yeah. This is it's funny because I'm getting into um, some of the things that you we are aware that is going on in the industry, and of course, I cannot I cannot say who specifically yeah. is doing these uh, things. Yeah. I have stories from stories yeah. from stories. So yeah. this is third hand. No, but I get it. I see why, you know, from a industry point of view, why this gets complicated for the banks because, you know, there's there's all sorts of ways this this can kind of blow up on them in terms of running exactly. a mock in terms of federal law and stuff. Okay. Exactly. And and they are held responsible at the executive level for any screw ups. So yeah. they can go to prison. Yeah. They can go to federal prison if they screw up. Yeah. And Personal you know, frankly, all, yes, all of these liabilities, they trickle down to the companies also if they end up engaging in these kinds of behaviors. That's if they get caught, right? Yeah. You're much more likely to catch them if they're banked. <laughs> yeah, no, reverse incentives on a lot of this stuff. Exactly. I'm not sure that that's something that they care about as much. I think a lot of these guys are really trying to do the right thing mm-hmm. and, uh, and really you know, move into the, into the legal market. 
I think that there are some some financial barriers that are making it more difficult for them. But even for the ones who are legitimate farms that you can go through and you can access all of their records and they have kept really good receipts records and all of the money is accounted for, you have to go through and basically audit everything from their cash records (laughs) to be able to put that cash into the bank and make sure that it's not coming from any sort of an illegal source. That is hugely labor intensive. Yeah. Hugely labor intensive. And the banks don't want to do it for them. Because why should they be having to go through an audit, right? Yeah. What needs to happen within the industry is a standard for independent auditing needs to come in for the cash records. And mm. so we we do a little bit of that when we're doing the digitization of the assets. Mm-hmm. If we're going to convert the cash over to a digital asset, then we have to know where it comes from. Because for the same reasons that we, you know, with our partner institutions, we are providing both the know your customer, the anti-money laundering, the transaction rail. All of this is built into one system. But on the on the front end, on the intake end, we still have to have the contracts and the receipts and the proof that all of this did not fall off trucks. <laughs> Got it. Okay. So let's yeah. back up just a second and and uh, frame for us artery pay in terms of what part of that sort of uh, business transaction process, banking process, uh, operational process are you trying to solve? Are you trying to work with in terms of providing a financial solution to cannabis-based companies? Right. So what I have identified as probably the main problem that um, financial institutions have with trying to work with this industry is, again, the lack of good information, the lack of transparency. And it's not necessarily that any of the cannabis companies would not provide the transparency. It's that there is a general understanding of this industry as really remaining in the shadows. Um, We know that that's not really true anymore. There's been a lot coming into light. There's a lot of reason, frankly, to be trying to encourage everybody to get on the same page with respect to with respect to working together. The financial institutions that are most interested in working with the industry, of course, are at a state and regional level. They have a lot of incentives to get involved with this because it is a good mechanism for them to increase their deposits and increase the available funds for them to lend into into the general communities that they work with. Mm -hmm. So it gives them the potential also to work with minority groups and and do some really good work on on community development and community building. And that's very valuable to some of these more community-oriented institutions. And we're finding that a lot of them are very excited to try to work with this industry, but again, are running into some capacity issues and running into some information blocks. So what we've built is a transaction rail. It is on blockchain. It is using smart contracts that are not exchange traded. It is a closed system, which basically means that there is no fluctuation in the price of the contracts. A dollar is a dollar is a dollar. Yeah, okay. Back you're not a, you're not a cryptocurrency. <laughs> Every time people mention blockchain, people think cryptocurrency. So you're using the underlying technology yes. that powers cryptocurrency, but using it for transaction transaction safeguarding. Correct. Yeah. And what's very attractive about it, and actually the the reason why we're using the public blockchain rather than a private blockchain, yeah. is that there's great transparency on it. You yeah. cannot mess with the records that come out of blockchain. I mean, I'm sure that at some point there will be somebody who will figure <laughs> out how to do it. Um, you know, it's always an arms race. Yeah. It's always, um, it's always fun, but, um, there are protective measures that you can take against that since we're not exchange traded. There's no fluctuation because this is not, this is not a traded asset. Uh It basically is, um, it's kind of an earmark and we use smart contracts. Okay. Smart contracts are pegged to the U S dollar. They represent the underlying dollars that are in fact held with our partner institutions. Okay. Be that whether they are credit unions, be that if they are banks, 
be that if they are in California, distributors. Distributors, a a lot of them are actually providing vaulting services in the California area, and a lot of them are bank-grade security. I mean, it is – they have built some really fantastic things. It's a lot of former military in the distribution space, and they're the ones who in California are licensed to move cash and are licensed to move cannabis product for this industry. And so we are also working with those institutions on digitizing those assets and basically getting them onto a transaction record that is not changeable. It's unalterable, so you Uh can't manipulate it and has a public record on Ethereum blockchain Mm -hmm. where you can actually go back and reconcile the records to what we have internally. And so there's an extra layer of protection for regulatory agencies that are coming in to try to work out um, financial audits on our institution as well as the partner institutions that we work with. Mm -hmm. And of course, on top of that, because, you know, it's just so much fun to add in extra features. (laughs) (laughs) We also handle um, financial reporting on our end. We are a financial institution. We are not trying to duck the laws on that. Uh Um, And you unfortunately have seen a lot of folks that have been thinking that they can just sort of handle cash management for people or provide, you know, payment services through payment processing, like credit processing, and not actually thinking about the fact that that's financial fraud and money laundering. I mean, it's just don't have the background to know what they're getting into. So it's a it's a bit of a big old oops. I don't know if And what happens with- what happens with those companies at some point the the federal government says yeah they get shut down. They get shut down. Primarily they actually get shut down by their financial partners yeah. because they were not honest about what they were doing. Yeah. And so they lose their access. They lose their access to those like a transactions. Cut. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Sometimes they also get shut down by by the regulatory bodies. That typically happens at the state level because that is the better funded of the regulatory financial agencies. It's uh it's much harder for FinCEN to be seeing these things especially when, you know, they're miscoding transactions. Yeah. Therefore, the suspicious activity reports are not actually getting filed and and all of these types of things. Mm. Um, So, yes, these guys get busted. They can be prosecuted for financial fraud at both the local and federal level, at the state and federal level. They also can end up with civil penalties. I was just going to say, yeah. For violating their contracts with them. Now, we haven't seen that yet, but it's probably coming. Yeah, just a matter (laughs) of time. Especially the fines that can be assessed um, by the by this the financial partners can be two hundred fifty thousand dollars a pop. Yeah. So each time somebody does a transaction that they're not supposed to do, like say say I buy a I buy a cartridge for sixty bucks at a a dispensary and they're doing credit card processing. Uh-huh. They've got somebody who very typically they've been advised by somebody who didn't realize that they were advising them to do something very illegal that Uh they can personally be held liable for. And everybody in this cycle is responsible for financial fraud from a criminal perspective and money laundering from like a federal criminality perspective. Mm -hmm. And it's just bad news bears for everybody. So what ends up happening with these processors that have done things like that is they end up losing their access. Their customers end up on the terminated merchant files, which is an internal document that almost all financial institutions have access to within the U.S. system because there are um, information sharing laws that are supposed to allow mm-hmm. banks 
basically to catch money launderers. Yeah. So they share that information with one another. And all of a sudden, you go from being just in a high-risk industry to being a high-risk business that had your access to all of these things, whether it's banking, whether it's payment services, having that shut down on you. And you basically are going to have almost all of your accounts at any financial institution shut down, including the state institutions. Wow. I was like, you you get put on the no-fly list. I mean, that's basically... (laughs) Exactly right. And it's sad because they've been misadvised by some folks who have taken very risky stances on financial products and who, frankly, don't have the background to be giving that proper advice. Yeah. (laughs) Just don't. (laughs) And uh, And it's unfortunate because... Who ends up suffering are a lot of the cannabis companies who who were trying to do the right thing yeah. and really, frankly yeah. just didn't know that that could even happen. Yeah, yeah. Well, well intentioned, misinformed, yes. uh, and, and often kind of caught caught in sometimes a bit of a scam. Um, yes, and it's I don't want to call it a scam. These things could mm-hmm. be made into legitimate processing, but the fact is the way that they've got these run, they're not, and they're not even trying. Yeah. They're not even trying. Yeah. I mean, gift cards is another one of those funny ones. Mm. There's specific gift card companies that are only working with cannabis. I've talked with a couple of them and been straight up. I'm like, hey, I don't want to see you guys shut down. I, I want – this is not good for anybody. This is the potential to you know, end up postponing legalization for the entire industry. Let's yeah. stop behaviors. Here's how you can fix it. Hey, financial institutions lawyer. Yeah. <laughs> trying to help and they're just not going to do it the focus isn't there well it sounds like it's the kind of the froth the froth of this industry is you know creating a lot of these situations where people are are in situations to make decisions that may not be completely well informed but they feel competitive i mean there's a lot of competitive pressure out there and uh you know there's a timing issue um there's a lot of short-sightedness yeah um, and it's not anybody's fault. Everybody starts looking at the green and, and thinking that's the only goal. And it's, okay, how do we get there? And not really actually thinking through that process and what's going to be the best practices to make sure that your your institute, your corporation is sustainable. Yeah. I mean, it's just sustainability issues and people don't realize it. So walk us through kind of the quote unquote right way of doing it or how, how you help companies do it and how your technology kind of supports that. Give us the kind of play-by-play from a business owner perspective. Absolutely. So there are definitely still the banking problems. It's going to continue to be a problem because, like I said, there's capacity issues. The payments problem is pretty easily solved, actually, using blockchain. Uh I mean, our wallet, it is an electronic wallet. Uh, It is a very smooth ride. It's basically the same sort of functionality as PayPal or Venmo, except being used for both peer-to-peer type actions. So on business-to-business, business-to-business, and then you also have customer-to-business. And we can do both. You have to report on all of those transactions. Uh You You have to report basically within 30 days of the transactions. And it's very simple. People can... It's a pre-funding of the wallet. Um, okay, so this is so if I'm a dispensary, uh, I've I've set up a dispensary. I engage I engage you. I set up an account with your system. I would then load it up with what cash that I have or assets that I have. Yes. Uh, I can then use that money to conduct transactions with processors to buy product and yeah. uh, buy you know anything I need. I guess are are there things that I would not use it for? Like if I need to buy office paper, I wouldn't. Would I only use it for things that are kind of in this kind of 
questionable or plant-related stuff, or do I use it for everything? You can use it for everything. Like, frankly, I don't really want to plug it this way, but it can be a full alternative to credit card. It can be a full alternative to debit. Uh-huh. It can be a full alternative to ACH. It just depends on the level of. Adoption. So I could play my employees. So I could play my. I could yep. pay my suppliers. I could pay my consultants. I could pay my employees. I could yes. use it for anything that I'm trying to pay. Yes, um, and. The cash assets actually physically are there. Like we hold our capital. Any cash that comes into the system Uh is actually banked. It is actually banked with financial institutions who know what we're doing. Got it. Who have agreed to work with us. Mm -hmm. And they have agreed to work with us again because we have have all of the compliance bells and whistles on the back end that ends up making it much easier for them to add capacity for this. Um, the other thing is there's no underwriting required because the the mm-hmm. transaction on blockchain occurs with any sort of uh, any sort of credit to it. It's an immediate transfer of yeah. fund. Yeah, there's no um, there's yeah. no clearing. There's no it, you know three days later you know it it gets uh, cleared by the clearinghouse. And, and from a customer point of view, so if I'm a dispensary and I've got a customer walks in the door, they would they would set up their account, they would fund their account, and they would use that credit in the system to then pay for goods and services at the dispensary. That's exactly right. And it's a smart contract. It's for a specified amount. Uh Um, And that specified amount, they will have ACH into the for the benefit of account. We are not touching any of that. There's no float on this. PayPal, when they first started, were actually sort of doing more of a banking reserve kind of. Yeah, um, they would take all those funds and they would take some 80% of them or something and use it for other purposes and Exactly. Um, and really for investment purposes, we're not doing that. Yeah. We have account fees, we have transaction fees, depending on what you're setting up. It's no cost at all to the to the end customer. Okay. But it's a cost, of course, to the businesses that are using the system. Yeah. Yeah. So you're taking a and, and then basically your business model is basically through the fees and services that you're providing, you're getting direct payment for. That's exactly right. And yeah. and basically it's an ACH system into into our accounts from their customers. Mm-hmm. Um, and for them on the legacy cash, we are we are basically going through their records yeah. and banking what they have records for. Not not banking, but digitizing those assets so they have access to it to move it around. Got it. Got it. Uh, with having to engage, you know, armored cars and and military level. <laughs> yeah, and it is. I've heard I've heard <laughs> these crazy crazy. stories. Oh yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. It's scary. It's scary. I've actually heard some stories about. People, you know, sending their intern with sixty thousand oh, yeah. dollars in a Prius, like over to the bank, and they're being followed by cartel members. They know mm-hmm. exactly when you leave. They know which cars to follow. It's asking for trouble. Yep. And it's something that we want to solve. It's just a safety problem for everybody. Yeah, I get it. I get it. Um, yeah. So, and what are the? I guess where are you with the business now? Like, what have been your challenges? I mean, where are you in terms of your business and the development of the business? Sure. So, actually, the product is ready. We are working on developing additional partnerships with more distributors, more financial institutions. We've getting we've been getting some great traction from from uh, from institutions with good footprints for this industry. You know, this is something that can be used for any industry, but it's we really designed it around these higher risk industries to try to help with tracking their transactions to get them into a more bankable state. And so by using this, they're going to have transaction records, transaction records that are being held by a third party that are confirmed by another external source. Like this is going to give them records upon records, which is what you really need in order to be able to get banked. I mean, it's something that everybody asks for is, you know, several years worth of financial statements on the corporation. And frankly, when you're talking about these types of corporations, when you're talking about cannabis, it would be a good idea 
it would be a good idea to actually have records from inception. But you definitely have to have records on the amount of cash that they're trying to put into actually put into the system. Yeah. And so our plan right now, this is the one thing that we don't have going for us at the moment, but we are in the process of applying for. Yeah. We are applying for our money transmitter license. Okay. Now that that's very important with respect to again getting us that financial institution. It ends up putting us into a bucket that makes it harder also for us to bank. Yeah. <laughs> privately, because that puts us into the money services businesses category. Yeah. <laughs> Which is another, it's a one that I mentioned earlier. It's Irony, a, yeah. And then when you start being really open and honest with folks and telling them that there's a crossover with cannabis, um, it ends up... Double, <laughs> double nipping here. <laughs> services and who banks money services do not bank cannabis. Yeah. So we're really having to be careful about who our partners are with. That takes longer. Yeah. It means that it can take us some time to scale out. But we're going to do things the right way because this is a financial institution. There is no room for error. Yeah. I've already described the fact that like you're talking about triple levels of liability in terms of both criminal prosecution and in terms of civil liability to to the institutions that you work with. I am not going to prison. Yeah, let, let's not do the follow-up episode from your cell. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Coming to you live. Uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh. but, uh, but that's the thing. We want to do things right. We want to get stakeholder input. Um, we have been trying to work with some of the, the local governments as well, but yes, this is, it's very important for us to basically what we're waiting on the money transmitter licenses is that we have to have a certain level of capitalization. Um, we have customers, but like I said, we're not touching their money. (laughs) So we do not have that high level of capitalization on our books yet. Yeah. Um, in order to support the money transmitter license. And you know, that comes from a legitimate place. They want to make sure that there's enough money to underwrite the transactions that we're doing in order to make sure that we don't disappear with people's money. Yeah, you're not going to default on something and exactly. end and up disappear. in Columbia. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Doing there. <laughs> yeah. I get it. Yeah, yeah. No, it's this is fascinating. I must say that this this banking side is it's it's complicated. I think it's it's funny. I think it encapsulate encapsulates so many kind of historical aspects of cannabis and the political aspects and and yet it's also kind of the crux, I think, to real kind of industry growth. Like if we don't figure these things out, it's gonna really stymie the the growth and expansion of this industry and um yeah, it's just gonna make it more difficult. So Kudos, kudos to uh, to digging into this and and uh, entering the danger, like getting into the hard stuff. I love solving problems. Yeah, yeah, no, I I, I love it. I would we, we could probably spend a couple hours getting into the the intricacies of this stuff. If people want to find out more about you, about our payments, um, about the work that you're doing, what's the best place to get that information? Okay, so we have a little landing page of a website that, of course, I did on GoDaddy because we're. <laughs> I wasn't planning on paying for web development at this time because the product is more important and we're a B2B, right? Primarily B2B. Our customers are businesses. So you can find information on how to contact us at www.arterypay.com. It gives a little bit of information. It tells you a little bit about the team. And you can also contact me at ashley at arterypay.com. If you'd like more information, we have brochures on pricing. We also have discussions of of the product a little bit more. And, you know, we are we are also, you know, so much of cannabis at this point is referral based. Yeah. So we will, you know, if there are other financial aspects that you are looking for, other advisors that you are looking for, we may be able to help you navigate some of those as well. Perfect. Um, not a hundred percent, of course. I'm not I'm not going to give <laughs> 
a, a full shout out to certain advisors, but yeah. there are some advisors in the industry that can be helpful as well. So you you know you use your advisors to find more yeah. services. Yeah, you think credible. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, if you're looking for us again, it's www.arterypay.com. Great. I'll make sure that those are in the show notes so people can click through and get a hold of you. Ashley, this has been a pleasure. I've learned a lot. I think our guests have. Uh, I really appreciate the time. Yeah. Thank you so much, Bruce. I really appreciate it. You've been listening to Thinking Outside the Bud with business coach Bruce Eckfeld. To find a full list of podcast episodes, download the tools and worksheets and access other great content. Visit the website at thinkingoutsidethebud.com. And don't forget to sign up for the free newsletter at thinkingoutsidethebud.com forward slash newsletter. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.